This is Big Sky Lead, a dive into the stories about how government and politics drive the direction of Montana. This podcast is from the reporters of the Montana State News Bureau in Helena, your eyes and ears on state government. It's produced by me, Tom Bridge. Our team brings you their reporting and the stories behind the coverage as the Montana State Legislature meets in an unprecedented session. All right, let's get right to it. Here with me today is members of the Montana State News Bureau, Holly Michaels, Tom Kuglin, and Seaborn Larson. This week, we have a new governor, new lawmakers, a new session, and a new approach to the state's mask mandate. This has been a really long-awaited announcement from Gianforte. He formed this COVID panel right after his election, and they put together some recommendations for him, and he promised to release them as soon as he took office. He talked a lot during the campaign about personal responsibility over mandates, and we got a picture, part of that picture on Tuesday. What did we learn from his first press conference as governor this week, Holly? Uh, we learned a lot. And then some things we still don't know. Um, kind of what you just ran through there. This was a really long awaited announcement from GM Forte. I think people were expecting him to lift the statewide mask mandate right away. And that's not what happened. He you know, did the thing that most people do at press conferences where they get out their talking points and then acknowledged everybody was going to ask him about the mandate. So he said he will repeal it, but not right away. He said there's two things that need to happen first. One is that this next vaccine phase will enter Everyone in that group would need to be vaccinated. So he changed this group. It's going to be people 70 and older and then people 16 to 69 with specific health conditions. The second thing he wants to see is the legislature needs to give him a bill that would give liability protections for businesses, churches, organizations where people gather. And it would For those groups, if they're making good faith efforts for public health to keep people safe, it would protect them from being sued by customers or people who were exposed to COVID at those businesses or places. So Gianforte said that'll happen in weeks, not months, but it's not really clear what that deadline will be. The group of people that needs to be vaccinated, it's about a quarter of a million. And obviously not everyone will choose to be vaccinated in that group, but it's a pretty big amount of people and we don't have the doses to get them all vaccinated on the legislative side that has to happen before they finish in april so that does have a deadline but not really clear when that mass mandate will lift so maybe flesh out for people this uh shift in the vaccine phases that gene forte rolled out this week and how that's a departure from bullock's uh phasing plan Yeah. So for me, this, I think, was the most interesting thing we heard in that Tuesday press conference. So right now we're in phase 1A, which is frontline healthcare workers, people who work and live in congregate care, assisted living, long-term care facilities. That's about 60,000 people. What's changing now is phase 1B. Our previous plans were based mostly off federal recommendations and that included um, essential workers, a lot of you know teachers, people at grocery stores, people in sort of that have had to go to work through this pandemic. It also includes Native Americans who are at higher risk. So what GM Forte changed is that group still has Native Americans, 
but now it also just has people who are in that 70 and up and then 16 to 69 with specific health conditions. So this is a pretty big shift in philosophy from the last administration. Uh, why does Gene 40 want to see these changes to the vaccine plan? And uh, is anyone upset about this change? Yeah, I mean, I think this fits with what Gene Forte's talked about with getting people back to work. You know, he's really emphasized the economic fallout of the pandemic. You know, we've talked a lot about the health fallout, not the business side. But what he's saying is this will minimize hospitalizations and deaths. A really clear indicator of if someone gets COVID and they'd be more likely to die is age. In Montana, we've had more than a thousand deaths now. The median age of death is 78. And then we know too that people who have health conditions, diabetes, some, you know, just chronic conditions, obesity, things like that are more likely to get sick and die. But there is some disagreement from people who were set to be vaccinated next and won't now. That's, you know, we're hearing from teachers, you know, people, especially in that group, I think, been really vocal. The largest union of public employees, which is the Montana Federation of Public Employees, they represent a lot of teachers. They sent out a pretty strongly worded statement on Tuesday. They called the policy misguided, said it was a slug in the gut to teachers who have to go to school to teach kids right now. Gene Forte kind of, I think, anticipated that criticism in his press conference, and he was saying, if you're a teacher, grocery store worker, you have a health condition, and you're still going to be vaccinated. It's just, if you don't have those, you move down on the list. Thanks, Holly. Uh, we now have a bit of the answer for what Gene Forte will do with the virus, uh, and the picture is clearing up about how the legislature would look, but there's still a lot up in the air. Uh, Seaborn, you were up at the Capitol this week. What's it been like? What are you seeing in terms of COVID precautions? Yeah, it's pretty hard to separate the crowds that are typically associated with the legislature from COVID. It's uh, in your face pretty much all the time. When you walk in the front door or or the back door, there are these uh, tablet-looking things on stands that are there to check your temperature. You have to lean in and there's a little red dot that you try to set your forehead on and you're, it's able to read your temperature from a few feet away. In the mornings, there are um, staff near those devices just to uh, check the temperature and, and kind of welcome you into the building as long as you're at the right temperature. But after an hour or so, those folks are typically gone. I, I'm not really sure uh, how long this process is going to be at the legislature and the, near the doorways. Um, going between meetings, going to the Senate floor, I've seen plenty of people who aren't wearing masks, whether that's the public or uh, lawmakers. But in the Senate, we've seen about 70% of Republican lawmakers wearing masks. That's kind of what they indicated they were going to do in an internal survey we got a hold of two weeks ago. And so it's been a very fluid situation, to quote one senator who loves to use that word. And I think more or less people are trying to get on with the work without getting caught up in precautions. We, at basically every press conference we've seen so far, even where lawmakers are trying to get into policy and kind of priorities for the session, usually questions and answers become dominated by COVID and what's happening outside the Capitol. And so that kind of thing is typically going to, I think, lead conversations in the next couple of weeks.
so with that in mind, what is next for hammering out the details on the COVID response in the Capitol? Uh, when does the COVID panel meet? Um, are they hiring a contact tracer? Uh, what's happened so far and what's going to happen? I don't believe there has been a COVID tracer uh, hired yet. And that's something I think they're looking to do the panel that is uh, made up of law leadership among the law lawmakers is expected to meet this week. We haven't um, heard anything about what they're going to try to put out this week in terms of any kind of measures. It's kind of a reactionary or opponents have said it's kind of a reactionary uh, format that they're going to take. We're just not sure yet what exactly that's going to look like. Thanks, Seaborn. Uh, and Tom Kuglin, uh, you sat in on the House Judiciary Committee Wednesday morning where they took up a bill brought by Representative Seth Bergley that seeks to change some Montana gun laws. Uh, tell us what that was all about. Uh, sure, Tom. So this is going to be the first of um, likely several bills dealing with firearms this session. Um, you know, guns are usually um, among some of the most uh, well uh, well attended hearings you see, and this, this was uh, definitely no exception. It went on for about two and a half hours just on this one bill. Um, so this bill comes on the heels of uh, LR-130. That was the ballot measure that restricts local governments from regulating uh, carrying concealed weapons with the permit. Um, but concealed weapons can still be regulated without a permit. So uh, what Berkeley's bill uh, wants to do, um, the first would be um, wherever open carry of firearms is currently lawful. That would include places like bank lobbies and restaurants or bars that serve alcohol. Um, the bill would allow... Um, concealed weapons to be carried there. Um, the bill would also allow for private property owners to prohibit firearms if they so choose. Um, Burgley basically wants to uh, shift the decision onto the private business rather than make it a state mandate or a state law about what they're going to do. Um, the second part of it um, we've also seen before, um, it's would be allowed uh, concealed carry weapons on campuses, college campuses in Montana, um, it would basically prohibit the Board of Regents or the university system from from um, doing much restrictions on those. Um, you know, these ideas have, have come up in recent years, uh, but have been vetoed. I think it, it's safe to say with the Republican governor now, um, uh, uh, supporters of these measures probably are, are, are more optimistic they could actually be signed into law. Um, you know, we saw kind of similar arguments you've seen from firearm proponents, um, arguing that, uh, you know, so-called um, gun-free zones such as campuses um, are sort of an invitation for mass shootings. Um, you know, the opponents come out and, uh, you know, say that um, not only um, is our campuses safe because of police and um, the people who are already there as far as security, but that uh, the presence of guns, you know, can lead to increased things um, such as um, completed suicides and, you um, you know, some students and faculty might feel intimidated by that. Um, some of the interesting things um, as far as, as Burley's specific bill is that um, in a place like a bar, um, he argues that, uh, well, if you have a concealed weapons permit and you're carrying lawfully, um, you would be also be prohibited from becoming intoxicated while you're carrying. So it's sort of a, a self-regulating um, aspect of the bill he's arguing. Um, so, you know, we saw the usual um, list of uh, 
proponents for the bill. Um, definitely the, the gun interests. Um, we also saw Cascade County, County Sheriff Jesse Slaughter and uh, duly elected Attorney General Austin Knutson all come out in support of this. Um, opposition came from the uh, uh, Office of Higher Education and uh, um, the Public Employees Union and bankers who um, you know felt this was going too far. Um, there's also some question about the constitutionality of this and whether um, the Board of Regents is sort of the constitutionally designated entity that would ought actually be able to make this decision. So we'll see where this goes moving forward. But um, like I said, it's going to be one of multiple firearms bills we'll see this session. Um, other ones coming up here include a, a statewide con um, allowance of concealed carry weapons without a permit. You can already get concealed carry in much of the state without a permit. Um, it's mostly on municipalities um, that, would, that would do uh, permits. Um, we've also going to see bills we've seen before as far as um, concealed carry by legislators at the Capitol um, and a school marshal program. Thanks, Tom. Um, for folks who aren't uh, super familiar with the inner workings of how bills pass through the legislature, uh, will you give us the rundown on where this bill goes from here? Sure. So it was heard in House Judiciary um, this morning, which was uh, Wednesday. Um, so what will happen is uh, they had the hearing. Um, they will come back for what's called executive action, um, where they will either amend the bill um, table the bill or pass the bill as it's written. Um, this bill looks pretty likely to be amended. Um, even several of the proponents said there were aspects of it they had concerns about and, and wanted to work on it with Burgley some more. Um, and we'll see uh, where this bill ends up from here. So Tom, as you sat through that hearing, how did the uh, new hybrid session uh, format work uh, as far as getting people in, uh, getting testimony um, and question and answers from legislators in person and um, in a virtual capacity? Uh, well, well, Tom, I think it was successful, but requires a lot of patience. Um, we saw a number of in-person um, people testifying, uh, but those numbers were restricted to seven. So as soon as somebody would cycle in, there was a lot of people coming in saying, well, I don't know what um, the person before me just said, but this is what I'm going to say. Um, so, you know, there's some uh, some duplicative testimony at times, but um, you know, the 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 uh, the session, the hearing itself seemed to run pretty smoothly. I think um, one of the challenges, and and um, Rep Representative Barry Usher, who chairs that committee, um, was reminding people that they really need to speak up because, uh, well, they might be able to be heard on. MPAN or in the room, people on Zoom were, were really struggling to hear them. Um, it seemed like staff did a pretty good job of um, keeping the flow going, keeping people coming in um, into the into the queue on Zoom, and uh, I think lawmakers were able to get their questions in, from what I could see. Uh, on on that note, Holly. Can you maybe uh, help people figure out if they want to uh, testify on a bill, how they go about doing that um, in, in a proper manner? Yeah, so there still is the in-person option, like we just heard Tom Kuklin run through. And then for people who can't get to the Capitol, you can testify over Zoom remotely. To do that, you need to register by noon the day before of the hearing. 
And you can either submit written testimony or request the Zoom link to get into the meeting. And on the legislative website, which is leg.mt.gov, you can get a schedule of hearings for the next three days. So if there's something that you want to engage in, check there and then get registered. Well, there you have it, folks. Thanks for listening to Big Sky Lead. Uh, And remember, if you want to keep this coming through your headphones, uh, subscribe wherever podcasts are found. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Tom.